Did you enjoy singing those songs? We have a lot to be thankful for. One of the hallmarks of genuine Christianity is joy and rejoicing. And we'll see that in the passage we're looking at today in Acts chapter 13. So take a Bible. This is a hot book, but you can still handle it. Acts 13. We're doing a series in the book of Acts. And it's uh, chapter 13, verse 13, where we're picking it up. We're going to have another Antioch mentioned, different Antioch than the missionary church in Syria. There's the map. You can see two Antiochs on that map, can't you? Good. I can't. My eyesight's not that good. But you can. That's excellent. So we're moving from this missionary base. This is the, this is the home church, so to speak. Focus is, has moved from Jerusalem to, to Antioch of Syria, and they're sending missionaries out. And these missionaries are who? Paul and Barnabas. So Paul is going to become very prominent from this point on, right to the end of the book. God is using these men to spread the Word of God. As I went through this sermon today, I'm going to hear two sermons today. Paul's sermon and my sermon. Because we're going through his sermon. That's the bulk of the material that we're going through. As I went through this uh, Paul's sermon this week, I noticed how often this phrase is used. And, and I, I did pick it up last week and in some other places. The Word of God, it's as though the Word of God has a life of its own. Now, of course, it's God's will. Jesus made that very clear that every person on planet Earth should hear the gospel. That's the heart of God. That's the mind of God. That's the purpose and the plan of God. And if he can use people that are willing to spread this gospel, like Paul and Barnabas, then good things will happen. No matter what kind of opposition comes, last week we saw this occult, spiritist, uh, devilish uh, opposition to the gospel. But did the devil succeed? No. The gospel spread. The opposition was put down, perhaps uh, maybe temporarily, but it was put down. The gospel spread and conversions happened. We will see a different kind of opposition today, but it's still satanic opposition. It's like a war is going on here in this book of Acts between the cause of God and the cause of Satan, and, and Satan is not giving up an inch of his ground. Do you sometimes wonder why it's hard for people to respond? There are devilish forces holding them back. So we need to be people of holiness, right? Did you understand that this morning? God declares us holy and He makes us holy. What God says, He performs. So there shouldn't really be confusion on this subject. God, His desire is to perfect every one of us in this room. Don't look at the this body of sin that you have. Don't dwell on that. Dwell upon the grace and the goodness of God, the fact that He has called you, the fact that He has chosen you, He has elected you, the fact that He has converted you. The focus is always in Scripture on what God is doing. That will come through very clearly in this sermon this morning. Why do we need to emphasize that, Pastor? Because the Jewish nation missed it. For thousands of years. 
too much talk about them and not enough talk about God. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, we covet this third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he is the one to lead us into truth. We also know he is the one to apply these truths to our hearts, as Alan reminded us in the prayer this morning. We don't just want to be hearing, we want to be doing. And we thank you that you could raise up people like Paul and Barnabas and even John Mark. And we thank you for these great leaders. Uh, develop our leadership here at the Anderson Church and help us to get this good news out into the community. Show us ways of doing that, Lord. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. So everyone has a Bible, right? And it's open to Acts chapter 13. We, last week we were in Cyprus. This week we're in a place called Pisidian Antioch. From Pathos, verse 13, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Just this brief reference to John leaving them. We will discuss that further as we move through the book of Acts. We know there was a falling out between Barnabas and Paul concerning John Mark, but we'll just uh, bring this to your attention that John has, has left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on which day? Why the Sabbath? Why not Sunday? Why not Friday? The Sabbath day is the day of worship. It was 2,000 years ago. It always has been since Genesis 2-3. God rested on that day. God is to be remembered on that day. God has set aside sacred time. Some of us actually studied a little bit about that this morning. Notice it's very important that we have not just Jews worshiping on the Sabbath, but we have Gentiles worshiping on the Sabbath too. Sometimes we're told, yes, this is just for the Jews. So if we have the, the mindset of this just being for a certain group of people, we'll never really understand the Word of God. We've got to kind of turn that around and say, well, well what are God's purposes? What are God's intentions? Is it just a, a very small handful of people on planet Earth who He wants to keep the Sabbath? No, this is to be for everybody. So even though this is not a, a sermon this morning emphasizing the Sabbath, I, I do want you to notice these Sabbath references in the book of Acts because I feel that they're important when we need to explain the permanence of the Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. This, as we said last week, was, was normal practice for somebody like Paul. Even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, he will go to a town he will seek out the Jewish synagogue, knowing that there would be Jews there and probably some non-Jews, what we call the God-fearers, people that were attracted to Judaism. Maybe some of them were uh, converts to Judaism. They would be worshiping there. And Paul knew that he would get an audience in these places. So they entered the synagogue, they sat down, and after reading from the law and the prophets... The synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Wow, what an invitation for Paul. You don't have to ask him twice. 
And you wouldn't have to ask me twice either. I don't care. He had time to prepare. But even if you don't have time to prepare, you don't refuse an invitation like that. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So now we're going to go into this. The bulk of our message this morning is this sermon. Now we've seen a number of sermons in the book of Acts. And I want you to be trying, those of you that have been coming here, reading through the book of Acts, I want you to try and look at some of the key ingredients in these sermons. Because you always have to ask yourself, why did Luke... If he gives us one sermon or two sermons in a book, then okay, fine. But he gives us a number of sermons. Why is he doing that? He gives us a sermon of Peter. Now we're looking at a sermon of Paul. Why is he spending so much time giving us this information? Those are the kind of questions that you ask yourself when you study the Bible. Do you question the Bible when you read it? Do you, do you wonder why this and why that? That's how the Bible becomes exciting and interesting. You do a little bit of research and you learn something. You're building, you're growing all the time as you do this. The Word of God is living and powerful. So the God of Israel chose our fathers and He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, He led them out of that country. Who did that? God. Notice how many times it will refer to God doing something good. Even if He's disciplining the people, it's God at work doing good things for His people. And as far as the people are concerned, usually they're messing up. So nobody has any reason, no Jewish person, no Gentile person has any reason to boast. Because we all mess up. And we shouldn't ever fall into the trap of feeling that uh, we are acceptable to God because of our achievements, because of our bloodline. Did you know that some English people have royal blood? Blue blood? Have you ever heard of British Israelites? Hmm. Some people feel that they're special outside of Christ. There's no specialness outside of Christ. The specialness is in Christ. So anyway, God chose these people. Sometimes we wonder why, but He knows what He's doing. He's God. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Is that good? Is it good to prosper? With mighty power, He led them out of that country. That's what we sometimes call the Exodus. There's a book in the Bible call that, led them out of that country, and he endured their conduct. Now, I'll throw it in here. It, it's probably implied, but not emphatically stated. Fits in very well with our study this morning. These people have been elected by God for holiness. They are to be a special people. We are elected to holiness. Christians are to be a special people, right? Sometimes you'll find that expressed in our concept of the remnant, make sure that we explain it the right way, the concept of, of being chosen and elected, set apart. All of these ideas are showing that God has a specific, special purpose for His people. So we're not just thinking of Paul and Barnabas. Yes, they are set apart. Didn't we study where that they laid hands on them and prayed for them and set them apart? For their work. 
and their work is to go as, as evangelists, as missionaries to these places, especially to the parts of the world and to the communities that have never, ever heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had such a burden for that, to get the, good, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, out to those who had never heard about it. I don't know how many people there are on planet Earth who have not heard. We, we guesstimate at least two billion. So when you're asked to give funds, when you're asked to share good news, there's a lot of people out there that need to hear it. So with mighty power, God led them out, and He endured their conduct. So there's the negative right there. The patient, loving, long-suffering God is enduring, putting up with their conduct, which usually wasn't very good. For about 40 years in the desert, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan. He gave them their land to his people, so there's a blessing. The curses are when God punishes them, disciplines them. The blessings are when they have health and vitality and receive a permanent land, a land that they, they're not Bedouins anymore in the desert. They have a land that they can settle down. That, he says, was their inheritance. All this took about how many years? 450 years. So why is he giving them this history? Because this is the way of building bridges with Jewish people. Jewish people were very proud of their history. You start talking about Abraham and people like David, and they're going to listen to you. They're not going to be fighting you. Now, of course, at the end of this sermon, they'll, they, they, there is a negative, a negative response. And there's a positive response, which is always true when you share the gospel. But at this point, before we get to the Lord Jesus Christ and the actual sharing of, of the good news, I want you to notice how he builds up to this point. Now, if you're talking with people who have no knowledge of the Bible, and that's the average person nowadays, can you see how our society is declining? People don't know the Word of God. Society is bound to decline if that happens spiritually. And we would think of these people as maybe heathen or pagans, and later in the book of Acts, we will actually see audiences where they were truly heathens and pagans, and see if Paul approaches them differently than he does Jewish people. But if you talk with people who don't know nothing of the Bible, you're probably not going to be able to talk about people like Abraham and David and Saul and so on, right? You have to find some common ground. Some of you are very good at doing that. Some of us need to learn how to do that. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will give us the words we need if we're willing to be used We'll be looking for areas of common ground, what we have in common, and then build from that. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet, verse 20, and then the people asked for a king. Uh-oh. If you know anything about your Old Testament, you know this is not good. What did they do when they asked for a king? They rejected God as their king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Now, the Jews are very proud of David. David is an important 
figure in the Old Testament. He testified concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, did David sometimes do things that God did not want him to do? Yeah, we, we all know that if we read the Old Testament. But it's interesting the way that Paul summarizes these people. It's not the occasional act of obedience or disobedience. It's the tenor of the life. Who do you love to talk about? I love to talk about God. I love to talk about the ways of God, the wonders of God, the mysteries of God, the acts of God. So David was a man, it says here, after God's own heart. He will do everything I want him to. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. See how he's just building up. Really, nothing he has said, just a little bit negative here, with, with they asked for a king who was Saul, but mainly fairly neutral ground that they can all agree on. But then he quickly brings Jesus in. And most of the rest of the message from this point on centers around the Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask, if you don't have the ability to know how to talk with people and share with people, ask God to give you that. Ask Him to give you that. Learn. Uh, bug your pastor if you have a pastor, or the elders, or someone in the church who you think would be good at doing that. Learn how to do this, how to meet people, strangers, and how to get on their wavelength and somehow, some way, try and bring in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's true, he has a pretty receptive audience here. They've invited him to get up and speak. So that's a little bit different than it is for you and, and myself on a daily basis. But he brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. There are many promises in the Old Testament that speak of the Lord Jesus. Now, do they use the name Jesus Christ, those promises? No, they don't do that. They, it's couched in different language. But it's there if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Why does he bring repentance in here? Because this audience that is listening is probably going to need to change their thinking on this Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance can imply. A change of mind, a change of heart. John preached baptism. John the Baptist preached baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. Some of them, many Jews knew that John was special, John the Baptist. Some of them probably wanted to declare him the Messiah, but he wasn't going to allow that to happen. He says, no, I'm not that one. I'm not that special one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. So I want you to catch something now. He's giving us history, the history of the Jewish people. He's giving us some of the history of the acts of God, what God intended to do through this Jewish people. And his intention was to bring forth the true Israelite, the perfect Israelite, this messianic figure whom we call the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring Jesus Christ who would meet 
all of the demands of God, who was totally obedient, the one man on planet earth who was totally obedient, and then to allow this one man to die on the cross so that you and I, Jews and Gentiles, all people on planet earth can get saved. That was always God's plan. And we know from other texts, His plan before this world was even created. If this world should fall into sin, God had a very specific plan in place. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had gathered together. Each was to play a role in this plan of salvation. The Father would have His role. The Son, as you know very well, had His role to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, and so on. And then the Holy Spirit had His role. Now, in the book of Acts, of course, the Holy Spirit is very, very important. But can you see in this Holy Spirit age that we're reading about in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost, and we've seen the church uh, spread out, go from this Jewish focus to the non-Jewish. We started to move into the parts of the book of Acts with less emphasis on, on the Jewish uh, importance and more emphasis on the non-Jewish importance till in the end we, we have an emphasis that it's, it's to the pure pagans, the ones who are absolutely clueless about God and how to get right with this God. So God has His plans, God has His purposes, and we're seeing some of them explained here in the context of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever heard a statement where it says that we should make the Lord Jesus Christ the center of every discourse? You ever heard things like that? You ever thought about that? How would you talk about um, marriage or loneliness and bring the Lord Jesus Christ into that discourse, into that conversation? It seems to me that Paul is doing that very, very well in this message here. So he's introduced them to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 23, and this is a fulfillment of promise, so it's not not, there's no New Testament at this point in time. This is the fulfillment of the Bible that you people love, that you people know. Oh, really? Where are these promises, some of these? So they would, Paul isn't explaining all of this stuff to them. He's given them just enough to whet their appetite, whet their interest, that they would come, discuss with him privately, and then even give him another opportunity on the next Sabbath to do some more explaining. Brothers, verse 26, children of Abraham, God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. So what was promised is now fulfilled in your very midst. Do you remember Jesus actually had an incident like that when he was asked to speak once? And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Saints and prophets have waited thousands of years for it, but now it is fulfilled. Well, here's a fulfillment statement by the apostle Paul. The people in there and of Jerusalem, verse 27, and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. And though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, 
they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb. But God did something. Here we go again. God doing something. What did God do? God raised him from the dead. And this resurrection of Jesus is the, is the very crux, the cornerstone of this message here. And it's true today. Paul, when he speaks in the book of Corinthians, basically says if the resurrection is not true, if it's just a phantom, somebody stole away the body, then, then we're finished. It's all over. And skeptics and unbelievers have tried for thousands of years to show that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true. But see how important it is in this message here. So he's executed. It says there on the cross. And then he's raised from the dead, verse 30. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you good news or bad news. Is the Seventh-day Adventist message good news or bad news? Sometimes I'd wonder the way I hear it explained. It's good news, and it's good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, there's, the, there's that promise idea again. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. So now he starts quoting from the Bible. You are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when he mentions these texts, there's going to be a lot of people in that room that don't understand. And that's okay. A speaker doesn't have to explain everything all at once. Paul's going to get other opportunities, maybe privately, possibly publicly, to do some further explaining. But he is going to captivate their interest. They're going to look at those texts differently than they've ever looked at them before. And if you can do that, go out and do that with people that, that do know their Bibles a little bit, then you will make good progress. So, here's these, what we would call proof text or very important text, probably texts that are messianic in origin and that would back up the point that Jesus Christ, Scripture uh, has spoken about this Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 35, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now, asleep is a metaphor for what? Death. Here we see it again. Uh, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. How do they know his body decayed? Because they can see his bones. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus... The forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now let me tell you something. The atmosphere in the room at this, at, in the synagogue at this point would be electric. 
There isn't a human being on this earth who doesn't want to know that their sins are forgiven. It's a very powerful topic to emphasize. And notice it's part, a very important part, of this gospel good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we know it's more than the forgiveness of sins, but God has used people like Billy Graham to lay that emphasis constantly in his ministry, and it has been a blessing to many, many people. Now, you and I as Seventh-day Adventists need to do a little bit more explaining than just that, but remember to get that in, because it's going to give hope to people. The Spirit of God is going to stir something in their heart. Spirit of God, as you're witnessing to them, is going to be saying, don't, want, don't you want your sins to be forgiven? Remember when you're witnessing, you always have the Holy Spirit on your side. Through Him, everyone who believes is what? As far as I know, this is the only reference to justification in the book of Acts. It's certainly the first one that we have come apart now, Paul is, in, is witnessing in Galatia. And recently, many of you in this room have studied the book of Galatians, right? So you can remember everything in that quarterly, right? Well, I shouldn't say quarterly. I should say study guide. Sorry. Old habits die hard. But you remember everything in the book of Galatians. And if I said to you, give me five key words from the book of Galatians that I used in Acts chapter 13, could you come up with that? In a very short time, Paul's going to be writing his letter to the Galatians. See how the Word of God? I've noticed as we've been going through Acts that there's been a lot of overlapping with what we've studied uh, a few months ago in the book of Galatians. And I'll tell you what those words are um, in just, just a moment. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So here's a nation who is so proud of the law of God and yet misunderstands the law of God, totally misunderstands how to be right with God, and certainly misunderstands maybe even more that this being right with God, this justification, is for all. It's for everybody. Every man, every woman, every boy and girl born on planet Earth needs to be justified by God. So when we use the word justified, I'm always encouraging you to look for suitable compatible language. So we could use the word accepted. Everyone who believes is accepted by God, is acquitted, is declared not guilty. And we know when we study the book of, of, just, the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, and we study this topic of justification by faith, it has more nuances than just those few words. One side is the forgiveness of your sins. The other side is to be declared righteous by God. So you have a negative side of it and you have a positive. God wipes something away 
but then he positively gives you something. So he wipes away the negative, sin, isn't that good? Why are you looking so grumpy when I'm saying he wipes away your sins? Shouldn't you be happy? See, you should smile when I say that. He wipes away your sins and he declares you righteous. He, he makes you right, acceptable with himself because you are in Jesus. So this one who was so perfect is your representative. Just like you have an ambassador to the United States. So you have an ambassador to the United States, he goes to Syria, and he gets fed up listening to Assad. Assad is sad at the moment. Assad, A-S-S-A-D. Assad is sad at the moment. And he's even more sad if the ambassador slaps him in the face. So if the ambassador, the representative, slaps him in the face, you have slapped him in the face too, because he is your representative, right? Whether you like it or not, you are represented by him. That's why an ambassador is so important. He represents the people and the will of the people. So our representative is the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has sent Jesus to be our representative. No human being lived the perfect life, but he did. And so you trust in Jesus Christ, his perfection becomes your perfection. Nobody in this room should be confused about holiness. Now, if you've never cracked open the Bible and all of this is new to you, then there may be some confusion. But the same God who, who justi justifies you declares you holy. So we can put the word holiness in, in here, right here, when we talk about justification. He declares you and then he makes you. The seed is planted, and then the seed grows. How do you know it will grow? What if I don't want it to grow? Do you think it's about you? Is it all about you? Is that the Adventist gospel, all about you? The same God who plants, do you think the same God cannot germinate? Do you think holiness and sanctification and godly living is an optional extra for those who are really serious about this Adventism? No, all of us are called by God, a call to holiness. Ephesians 1.4 makes that very, very clear. So God declares you, and then he starts to work within you. What if you don't want to cooperate? Well, God has his ways of fulfilling his purposes. Sometimes we may be laid on our sickbed. Sometimes our business may be taken away from us. Because our business and money has become our God. And, and, and those things can never, we can never have idolatry in God's holy ones, so God may take that away. And in Corinth there, he laid some in the grave. All of this is because God loves us, and he wants the very best for us. The emphasis is on what God is doing and then we cooperate. But pastor, I find it so hard to cooperate. Join the crowd. Why do you think he's given us the Holy Spirit? So we can live unholy lives or that we can live holy lives. So, so when you can mature and grow in your Christian life to the point of saying, not my will be done, 
but your will be done, no matter how much it crosses this self-centered sinful life of yours, so be it. That is a mature prayer. That is a godly prayer. And some of us who are really, really, really bothered about this sinful body of ours have to rest our hopes in the second coming of Jesus Christ when He will transform this sinful body, make it like His glorious body, immortal, glorified, not subject to sin and its tendencies with God. All right, I threw that in just to clarify some of our discussions this morning on holiness. There really shouldn't be confusion on these topics, it seems to me. Anyway, the one who believes, the one who trusts, the one who has faith in Jesus is the one who is accepted by God or justified. could never happen through the law. It's not the purpose of the law to do that. Again, there's a mistake of the Jews trying to make the law something that it never could be. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. So here's a warning message. Now, there are a number of warning messages in the New Testament. Some of the best ones and the strongest ones are in the book of Hebrews. So let's get the picture here so we're balanced. You have all these positive messages. God has called you. God has chosen you. God has elected you. God has called you to be holy. God, God wants to justify you. You know, on and on and on we could go, right? with all these positive blessings or benefits of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are warning messages, and we have to take note of those warning messages. So if I'm with a person, witnessing to a person, be they Seventh-day Adventist or not, who is um, having a flippant attitude towards their Christianity, I'm going to go to those warning messages. And if I have somebody, which is usually the situation certainly here at the Anderson Church and most churches that I've pastored, where, where the members do not have the confidence and the assurance that they should have, then I'm going to go to all those positive, confident, emphasis, aspects of the gospel. It's kind of like going to a doctor. And if he's a good doctor, he's going to listen. He's going to tune in and he's going to try and not just put the Band-Aid on you so you go out the door and he can make a a few, few dollars, but he's going to go to the root cause. He may not know what the root cause is. Now, we do know what the root cause is, do we not? We know it's sin. So there's one of the key five words that's used in Galatians, and that's very important. Christians who are flippant with God, Christians who are not serious about their Adventism, don't understand what sin is. We need to spell out what sin is, not to make everybody bad, feel bad, but so we can truly diagnose the cause of the problem. And then, of course, give them the appropriate remedy. So that seems to me what we do when we share the gospel. Here's the warning message, verse 41. Luck, you scoffers, quoting the book of Habakkuk, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the, the synagogue, so here's the response now. The sermon has gone forth. When the Word of God goes forth, when the Word of God has gone forth this morning, I and Paul expect a response. So if you have those rotten eggs in your pocket, 
Now's the time to throw them. You don't think they did things like that to Paul? So as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Positive or negative? So first, we have a positive response. Praise God for that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, those are the non-Jews or Gentiles, followed Paul and Barnabas, who taught with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. There's another key word from Galatians, the word grace. So God is at work even in the proclamation, especially in the proclamation. God's word will go forth. Whether it comes from Paul's mouth, Barnabas' mouth, if the stones cry out, God's word will go forth, and God's word will bring a response. Up to this point, real positive. Even the language being used, the grace of God. It's as though some people are getting saved right there, possibly. And I'm sure that most preachers would just like the positive response. But it isn't always like that. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. You talk about city evangelism, here it is. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy or envy. Why? When the multitudes have come out to hear good news, why would anyone be jealous? Well, we like to protect our turf, don't we? And we might think that we're so special that no one else can get saved. Well, they can get saved if they get circumcised, if they keep the law of God, if they keep the ceremony. It goes on and on and on. If they do this and if they do that. And what the gospel of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, you cannot do anything to get right with God except believe, trust, and have faith in Jesus. This is so important. But pastor, don't we want people to keep the Sabbath? If you were a Jew in Jesus' day, wouldn't you say, but we, we absolutely want... Our, our, our belief system will be so watered down. All the things that we stand for will be just pushed to the side if we just allow people to come in just simply by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was the conflict that Paul constantly had. He would not budge. He drew, his, he drew the line in the sand on this. You and I have to do the same thing. Even within our own church, we have to do that. And it's not that we don't em empath emphasize emph empathize. Is that the right word? I have to come up with another word. It's not that we don't sympathize with those who treasure these things because they're God-given. Circumcision was God-given. Sabbath-keeping is God-given. Keeping the Ten Commandments is God-given, right? You see it all through the Bible. The ceremonial system was the plan of God, the wisdom of God. But nobody gets right with God by doing those things. So it's the, we don't want to put the cart before the horse. There is a place for many of those things. Certainly there is. And it is important as Seventh-day Adventists that we defend and understand and stand for the truth on these things, but put it in the right perspective. Explain the gospel in a way that gives people hope. So this is the way that Paul does it here. 
gets a positive response at first, but then the negative response in verse 45, the Jews saw the crowds, probably predominantly non-Jewish at this point, and they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the Word of God to you first, to the Jew first, then to the non-Jew. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, wow, we're talking about eternal life. It's not about religion. It's about eternal life or eternal death here. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now here he's taking some text from the uh, Old Testament, Isaiah 49, verse 6, and there's a dual application here. The application originally is to the nation of Israel, but there's also an application to the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's an application to the Christian church. When the Gentiles heard this, glad or sad? I've asked you before, do you want to be a gladventist or a sadventist? Well, here's the gladventist right here. They were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now, you can fight all day over that text. Just thank God that he has called you to eternal life. The word of the Lord, here we go again. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. What did Jesus say when we go and we share the gospel and people uh, abuse us, blasphemers? We shake the dust off. We move on because there's always somebody. And often when you have these negative uh, confrontations, they're really satanic confrontations. That's what they are. But it's with human beings. Then you need to move on because somebody is waiting. Somebody who will respond is there. And if the, the way that the devil can stop us getting to that someone is through a negative pers persecuting experience, then you better believe he's going to do that. doesn't put off Paul and Barnabas. They shut the dust from their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with what? Joy and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is working, because the word of the Lord is spreading, that no matter what Satan, Satan is a defeated foe, no matter what he throws at them, God's kingdom will triumph. And you and I have a part to play in the triumph of this kingdom. Has Jesus come yet? No. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses, are we? We should know. No. Jesus has not come the second time. We're still waiting for him to come with power and great glory. So that's telling me that you and I have a work to do. And if you want it in, in simple, simple language, it's sharing the good news of Jesus. Get out there. Talk to people. Listen to people. Help people. Find out where they're hurting. Find out where their needs are. And then minister to them. And see if, you ca if Jesus does not walk over that bridge of compassion which you are setting up. And he will. And good things will happen. There will be joy, rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for people like Paul and Barnabas 
for many faithful Christians over the centuries, for the faithful ones here this morning. All of this is pure grace on your part. Teach us, Lord, how to lay the focus on you, on what you are doing, on your plan. And Lord, may we encourage one another to get involved in this work of saving souls. We thank you, Lord, for our own salvation. If there is someone here this morning, Lord, that's not in your family, then keep knocking on their heart. Bring them in. May we do everything we can to encourage them. And those of us that are part of your family, Lord, then help us to realize the privileges, the responsibility that we have. Jesus is always good news. May we share him in the marketplace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.